0: I'd like to begin with an apology, and then like to offer an invitation. Last week, a friend named Dustin sent me an email and said there will be many guests worshiping together on Easter Sunday, and it's quite probable that a goodly number of them have been hurt, or diminished, or condemned by people who call themselves Christians, or by the organizational church. And the invitation was that I would apologize on behalf of our church and the people of this church who call themselves Christians. And that if in this room you have been hurt by any of us who call ourselves Christians or by the actions of this congregation in any way, I would ask for your apology this morning. And together we would process what it means to be the community of faith on Resurrection Sunday. In the invitation, I'd like to especially invite people who live with doubt this morning. If you're living with doubt about Jesus, about this whole Christian thing, I would especially like to invite you to listen carefully to your heart. Perhaps there's something for you this morning connected to moving from doubt to believing. So in the As I was meeting with people this week, one of the things that came up was um, we live with a lot of doubt and anxiety and fear about a whole number of things. And talking with our teams in preparation for this series, we thought maybe on this Sunday we would try to find someone who in the gospel story of the resurrection has processed doubt. And so there's someone we call doubting Thomas. But can I suggest to you that's a really bad rap Really bad rap. Let me just tell you why. Let me start with the end of his life. In A.D. 52, about 20 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, Thomas went to the country of India. And for 20 years, he talked about Jesus and planted churches all through India. In A.D. 72, someone who didn't like it, he was saying, took a big spear and killed him. That's doubting Thomas. Let me take you back now to the beginning of the Gospels. For our guests, there are four books in the Bible that specifically target Jesus. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm going to use today the book of John, a few verses in John. It's the oldest of the books. It was written about 60 to 70 years after Jesus had ascended to heaven. In that book of John, Jesus calls 12 people to be his buddies. And one of them was a man named Thomas. A bit later in the story of the Gospel of John, chapter 11, Jesus has a friend who is dying who needs Jesus' attention and his friend is dying in a city called Bethany which is right next to the city of Jerusalem is where those who want to kill Jesus live. So Thomas, doubting Thomas, says to the other 11 let's go with him let's die with him does that sound like a doubter to you how about in chapter 14 of john in john chapter 14 jesus is talking about leaving them and john said thomas says jesus where are you going we don't know where you're going and jesus had these beautiful words jesus said i am the way i'm the truth and i'm the life so, doubting Thomas was chosen by Jesus, one of the twelve. Jesus is ready to die with him. He's ready to, 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 to just follow Jesus no matter where. And at the end of the life, Jesus' life, we read this story and we think, what a loser. This is why I want to invite doubters this morning. If you have doubts, I want you to know you are welcome here today. So, let's look at this story for just a few moments. It's John chapter 20, verses 24 through 27, 28. I'm going to read it. I'm going to tell you a little more history and then read it again. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 24. Please hear the word of the Lord. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. This morning we're talking moving from doubt to believe. Verse 26. you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed now let me tell you a little more story here now before i read it again the book of john was written probably somewhere between 90 and 100 a.d the other gospels are written 30 to 40 years before so there are no more eyewitnesses to jesus so the gospel of john is written to a whole generation of Christ followers who had never seen Jesus. And John wants all those people who have not seen Jesus, who are doubting, is this true? Is it really true? He's giving them an example of one of the 12. One of the 12 who saw him, who doubted and yet who believed. John is trying to give them a picture of a person, the story of a person who doubted and yet moved to believe because this is a whole generation of people who do have never seen Jesus. So that's the context. Now let's read it one more time and I'll unpack it for you. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, seven days, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came out and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, can we stop for just a second? I want you to imagine that. I'm going to pretend, act it out. So you're the disciples, you're seeing an upper room. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. And he says to them the third time in this chapter, literally, literal translation, peace be to you. Now, can you just imagine this now? Just imagine, which I, I watch, would you go into your cemetery where someone you love is buried? Can you imagine you go to the place, it's out of the ground? The top is open, and there's no body. And then all of a sudden, your loved one shows up. What's your response? What's your response? So in the earliest gospel, Mark, the earliest gospel, chapter 16, 1 through 8, this is how the passage ends. They were bewildered and afraid. What just happened? What's happening? What's happening? They don't know how to process. We don't know how to process it. So here now, in the fourth Gospel, is someone who is doubting who Jesus is gonna respond to. Let's go on, a little farther, I'm gonna show you a picture. He said, a week later, he goes to them and says, in verse 27, he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, Because you have seen me, you believe, said Jesus. Now look, at this is now 60 years after Jesus has ascended. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now look at the next two verses. John performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the book of John is reading for people who are doubting and wondering. Now let me show you a picture. This is from Caravaggio, 1602. This is the best depiction I've ever seen of Thomas and Jesus. Will you take a minute and look at that? I know you're sitting far. You perhaps can't see it as well. Now, a little word about art in 1600s. Most people could not read. So how they communicated the goodness of the kingdom was they would do art. And they used people from that day. If you want to know what men look like in 1602, there's your picture. Now look, look at Jesus, the man on your left, and look at Thomas. Now I want you to look at, just look at that. Just, just look for a moment, I'll stop talking. Look at the picture, what do you see? 20 more seconds, then I'm going to ask you to talk with someone. What do you see? 20 seconds. Okay, if you're willing, if you're able, will you talk with someone next to you? What do you see? What do you see in this picture? On your marks, get set, talk. The questions. Do you see the, the way the artist triangled the four men? Look how he triangles them. And now look what the, what's the focus? The focus is the wound of Jesus. Now look at Jesus' left hand. Have you ever thought about Jesus taking Thomas's hand and putting it in his side? Now look, look how tender that big left hand is. And look how far that finger is in his side. Now, what kind of a God does that? Remind you, the rabbis of Jesus' day, if you were a disciple of a rabbi, and this is all males, you would never see your rabbi unclothed. Here is Rabbi Jesus, who has created everything by a few words. Colossians chapter 1 says he holds the whole world. And this God is humiliating himself by disrobing his disciples. And he is saying, go ahead, Thomas. I want to move you from doubt to belief. Put your finger right here. And remember now, who is he writing He's writing a generation of people who have not seen Jesus. Now, what's Jesus' posture toward Thomas? Do you see the tenderness? Look, look at Jesus' gaze on Thomas. Look at, look at the intensity of Thomas. He's trying to figure out, what is this? And look at Jesus' tenderness. Now, why am i pointing this out, I'd like to speak to people who are living in doubt. May I say to you on Easter Sunday that Jesus loves doubters. Jesus loves us. So many have been hurt by Christians because we don't have room for doubt. There are many things we do not understand. Amen? And the question we have is, can we choose to live exercising as much faith as we've been given, and as much as we are exercising, are we trusting in Jesus? Now, here's the presupposition here. The presupposition is, we believe that Jesus is actually alive. We say it again, Jesus is actually alive. A few weeks ago, I asked the congregation in one of the services to raise their hand, in fact, several of them, how many people had a sense that they'd been seeing the person of Jesus somewhere else? And let me stop for a second. I'll go back to the people who've been hurt by, by churches, by Christians. You know this, I've said this many times in the last 30 years. Many of us are the only Bibles that most people are ever gonna read. And the question I've asked repeatedly in these last 30 years is, is the Bible you are worth reading? Is the Bible you and are appealing? is the Bible we are expressing, honoring Jesus, who loves so incredibly deeply. That's the question I have. And I wonder if we are missing the presence of of Jesus in people. A couple weeks ago, I told a story at one of the services, I can't remember which one. So forgive me, I'm repeating myself. But I was in a line, we were flying to Atlanta some weeks ago to be with our family around Kirk's uh, graduation day into heaven. And Lane was somewhere, and I was getting some coffee or something, and I, and I saw a young man who was, it was uh, uh, disabled, not able to the to, to normal kind of functioning, a person like I am with leg, full movement of legs and arms. He was uh, unable to move except for his face. He was in a, a large chair, and he was wanting to go to Starbucks to get something to drink. Uh, and it was interesting to watch as he was in line So here's a whole line of people at an airport, and people did not know what to do with this person. How how does one rightly, appropriately respond to someone we don't know, and who might need some special attention or care? And so basically, everyone treated this person like a pariah, except for one little woman. And she walked up to him and said, what would you like? He wanted something cold to drink. She said, may I stand in line with you? So with the motorized vehicle and she, they went all the way through. Finally got to drink, it takes a while in airports, get your Starbucks. She sat next to him and held it up to his face so he could suck on the straw. I just saw Jesus twice. The man in the wheelchair and the woman holding the straw. It's often not in the big flamboyant ways we see Jesus. Jesus said it's in the broken and the meek and the prisoners and the orphans and the widows, then we're gonna see the goodness of Jesus. Well, if that's true, why do we get stuck? So may I have slide number seven? And I'm I'm pulling from multiple sources here and condensing it, but this, the diagram you see in front of you comes from Bill and Christy Galtier. And if you can see it very well, I'm gonna draw attention to the wall. So this is not meant to be circular, it happens just logically, circling, this is just to to give a diagram of Christian formation. So up at the top is when a person comes to faith in Jesus, there's a confidence in Christ, there's a joy about being in relationship with Jesus. And then oftentimes, somewhere around that, there's a desire to become trained, equipped, learn more about Christ and the kingdom. So some kind of discipling goes on. And then following this relationship with Jesus and some growth, then there can also be, would have chances to serve? But then you notice the wall. So the Galtiers argue that most of us have three to seven walls in our lives. So I'll I'll give mine, I think it's mine and Lane's wall. Our latest wall was when our youngest son died unexpectedly. So we hit, back to the picture please. There you go, thank you. We hit the wall. Now what typically happens in the research we received is almost all Christians revert back to the first three. They don't make it through the wall. So the wall, let me read what a wall is. A wall is a time of crisis in which we have to surrender ourselves to God and believe he can lead us forward. It could be a burnout, blowout, personal crisis, faith crisis. Before that, in those first three, again, it's not sequential, I'm just trying to illustrate, those first three, things are pretty black and white. But when your son dies at 27, you hit a wall. All of a sudden, things get gray. When cancer happens, when illnesses don't, we don't get healed of illnesses, when we lose our jobs, when children, We hit a wall. So what happens at the wall is there has to be some way in which we say, Lord, I'm gonna surrender to you in this broken time, in this time of incredible pain and loss, in this time of doubt. And in that season, I'm gonna start moving into an inner journey that is more deeply rooted in Jesus. So all of a sudden, it's not just knowing the facts, it's knowing the stuff. It's memorizing the catechism. Well, that is not that. It is a deep relationship with Jesus that is so personal. Now, back to the picture again, please. This is why I want you to see this picture. I want you to see this Jesus on Resurrection Day. This Jesus. Look how tender. Look how gracious of spirit. Look how invitational. That's Jesus, do you recognize that Jesus wants a relationship with you, not just knowing stuff? Back to the, the wall, please. When we hit the wall, so what, tip, hang on. The research says you hit the wall almost. Listen to this. Listen to this. The research says most Christians do not get beyond the wall. So we just go back, just memorizing scripture, reading the Bible, and those are all good things, but they don't meet meet us in this time of the wall. And then what happens? Watch what happens. Watch what happens. It doesn't work. Christianity doesn't work. I'm praying my butt off. My kid died. What the heck does that mean? All these crises. What's going on? It doesn't work. And I read my Bible. It doesn't help. I pray. Nothing happens. It doesn't work, so I'm just walking off. And so in Marion County, the other 46,000 people live in Marion County, about 24% ever go to church in the, in the course of a year. So many have been hurt by Christians, hurt by the church, filled with doubts, and the simple answers don't work. And what needs to happen, Then back to my picture, please, is you have to have an image of Jesus who is so loving and so kind and so tender and is so for you that you're willing to say, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I want to take steps from doubt. I want to start to take steps to believe. And we just take baby steps. I take three steps forward, I take two steps back. But I made some progress. Well, am I making sense? <laughs> yeah. We're, thinking. We're thinking. Okay, thanks, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, number eight, please. So th- this is so. How might blessing of Jesus playing to believing? Do you notice? I want to draw your attention now to verse uh, 29. Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So this this is my specific application today. If you find yourself in a place of doubt and you're wanting to take more steps into believing, today, my action step is simple. Would you open your heart to receive a blessing from Jesus? Let me, I did this last service. If you have ever, in all the rooms, wherever you are, home, online, everything, everybody, think about this. And if you're willing, in a moment, raise your hands, wherever you are. If you can remember a time when someone gave you a verbal blessing and you can remember that blessing, would you raise your hand, please? Raise them real high. There's some of us. How many of us long to have someone say to us, I see you, I honor you, I bless you. i can tell you a story of how I did not do that with our oldest son. When Kyle was 16, I remember an experience, and I've told the story before, but I think it fits. Kyle was growing and was was becoming uh, playing basketball stuff. And at nights, we'd go down, and Lane and I would take turns, and we'd pray over him, we'd talk to him, and stuff like that. And one day, and when we'd go down, and we were going to leave, he'd always grab our legs, so he couldn't leave. So I I prayed with him, and I was going to leave, and he grabbed my leg. And then he started to cry. So here's my great big son, bigger than me, crying. I said, Kyle, what's going on? He said, Dad, I don't feel like you're for me. I don't feel like I get a blessing from you. And I just lost it. And I said, Kyle, what do I need to do to bless you? He didn't have an answer for me, but I've never forgotten that. In all those years since, he is now 42. So for the last 26 years, I have tried every time I've seen my oldest son and all our sons is to bless them. I want you to think about this. The blessing of the Old Testament, it goes like this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. I can't do this and that seems seems presumptuous, so forgive me if it is, but if I had permission, on Easter Sunday. I would ask each of you if I could walk up to you, if I could hold your hand, your head in my hands, and if I could say those words to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance, his presence on you and may he give you his peace. I think if I did that many of us would cry because we long to receive a blessing. Yes? So I want to conclude my little part here by offering each of you a blessing. I can't touch you, but I wrote something. So I wonder if you'd be willing to just fit yourself in a posture receiving. And I'm going to pray a blessing over all of you here. Let me invite the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, will you send your Spirit even now to the tender places of our hearts? especially to those who have felt hurt by Christians or your church or those who find themselves in a season of doubting. And I pray that you would offer your blessing to each of them and all of us. So please hear my blessing. Pretend it is the Lord Jesus who has written it. And I'm writing it. When the light around you lessens and your deepest thoughts turn dark until your body feels fear turn cold as a stone inside. When you find yourself bereft of any hope for a good future because all you have unknowingly leaned upon has fallen apart when one negative voice crushes your whole heart and it is raven dark. Steady yourself, my dear one. Look and see that it is your own thinking that darkens your perspective. Search and you will find a diamond thought of hope, a jewel glistening with light. Know on this Easter morning that you are not alone, that this darkness, this doubt, has a purpose. Gradually it will school your eyes to find one, the risen one, Jesus, the one your life requires, hidden within the darkness of doubt and fear. So Jesus, the risen one, says to you this Easter morning, receive my peace, accept my love, live in my hope. Dear ones, long for the living hope that is all around, for the living hope is here, the living hope is coming, it is coming soon to you. Amen.